श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय गोर भक्तवृंद की जय गोर प्रेम आनंद सो क्वेश्चंस टुनाइट What was it under? Well, yeah, because it was, it was, you know, he says certain Milo's in his leaves, and which one was that under? Certain what? Milo's moods in his leaves. So which one was the uh, Rasas, you mean? Rasas, right. Uh-huh, okay, I understand your question. Um, first of all, um, it's important to note that Krishna tastes rasa only with his devotees because only his devotees approach him in bhakti, which is defined, uh, described by Rupa Goswami as being anukulena, Krishna anushilanam. Anukul means favorable. So with a favorable attitude and desire to please him. For example, Mother Yasoda chastised Krishna, tied him up, for stealing butter and making a mess and so forth. Uh, that does not, on its face, look like something very favorable. Hmm? To uh, tie Krishna up and chastise him and stop him from eating butter and, and so forth, it looks antagonistic. Hmm? But the fact is that her efforts were filled with motherly affection for him. Hmm? So it constitutes bhakti. Whereas, when various demons and the demonic elements or persons interact with Krishna, they do not do so with a desire to please him. Hmm? So they, in connection with them, then there's a missing element in order for Krishna to taste rasa. Rasa requires two things. In the least, uh, two basic things. It requires the object of love and the lover. Hmm? So Krishna is the perfect object of love. So bhakti rasa is centered on him. But that which is centered on him is love. Love, parental love, love in uh, servile love, fraternal love, and so on. Romantic love. And so these loves, if you will, are embodied in different devotees. Hmm? And when these two constituents are there, then there's a possibility of rasa. When Krishna interacts with demons, he's the perfect object of love, but there's no love for him on the part of the demon. Hmm? Therefore, for example, when we discussed the other night, Krishna's entering the wrestling arena. There were several various persons who saw him from different angles of vision, and by analyzing those, we understood that all 12 rasas were um, possible it was possible to experience them in relation to Krishna. Some of those persons were not devotees, like Kamsa was not a devotee, and he was absorbed in fear of Krishna. One of the secondary rasas, there are five primary and secondary, one of the secondary ones is Bhayankar, or fear. Now, Krishna didn't taste rasa in relation to Kamsa because Kamsa was not a devotee. Hmm? His fear was not lovingly reposed in Krishna. But he got a shadow of that, a shadow of uh, 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 fearful rasa only, which indicates that it's, that it's possible to have the full face of that rasic experience of aesthetic rapture with Krishna if one's uh, fear is reposed in him and loving spirit and so on and so forth. So so this is true with Kaliya and all the different demons. Krishna's not tasting rasa directly with them, but rather he's tasting rasa in relation to different devotees who are part of that. For example, when Krishna was um, fighting with um, Kaliya, chastising Kaliya, 
First thing he did was he, he, he climbed up in a Kadamba tree and jumped into the water. Hmm? Kaliya was disturbed and there was a fight and uh, most people in Vrindavan were overwhelmed with um, well, either compassion for Krishna, Karan Rasa, or, or they had fear. Hmm? What will happen to Krishna? Reposed in Krishna and so forth. Baladev brought everybody to the banks of the Jamuna. There were inauspicious omens and so forth. He assured them there was no there was no problem and so forth. The cowherds were passing out from. Of course, they drank the water that was poisonous. Krishna had to bring them back from apparent death. This kind of death is one of the ten s- symptoms of love and separation. Vyog. Hmm? Uh, so they weren't really dying; they were dying and. At the thought of his his possible demise in the context of Leela and so forth, so then when Krishna j- uh, surfaced, jumped on the head of Kali and started dancing, by that time the young milkmaidens who had not the gopis who had not had direct encounter with him saw him dancing and he was showing off his dancing. They show like, see what a dancer I am. We got a fu- we got a future. What do you think? Something like that. So they tasted something there and so. With different devotees, he's tasting, and meanwhile, he's chastising Kaliya, hmm? um, and um, and even the wives of Kaliya, they were devotees of Krishna. They approached after the chastisement and appreciated Krishna, and, and they also petitioned on behalf of their husband Kaliya, despite his demonic nature and so forth. And so. Um, uh, Krishna's tasting many different sentiments with different devotees, but with Kaliya, he's just uh, he's just chastising him and uh, removing from him the poison of his his uh, uh, demonic nature. And he had kind of spoiled the Jamuna playground there. He said the birds couldn't even fly over that section of the Jamuna without passing out and dying, falling into the water because the poisonous fumes from the water. So, uh, he, and he's a serpent. This is, uh, you know, uh, anyway, he's a little bit symbolic of, uh, in this case, uh, demonic uh, temperament and so forth. Um, so, Krishna used him, if you will, as a, as a vehicle to taste rasa with other devotees. Mm. And so, with so many demons, it's said that he establishes dharma by chastising the demons, but he does that as a byproduct of pleasing his devotees. It said that Krishna appears in the world for two reasons. Paritarnaya sadhunam dusritam, to annihilate the miscreants and give protection to the devotees. Well, the devotees, they need mostly protection from the pain of separation from him. It reaches a certain pitch in the lives of certain devotees it causes Krishna to appear in the world and they uh, participate in his lila, which is the final stage in their own uh, progressive march uh, to to perfection. Um, and in the context of that, we find leelas in which they appear to be in need of protection, like in the Vrindavan lila or outside of Vrindavan, various demons and so forth. But the killing of them, the slaying of them, the establishing of dharma is a secondary thing. In fact, it's said that in the Brajalila, that it's that Krishna only loves, and the Vishnu in him kills the demons. Vishnu is is more concerned with establishing dharma, and so Krishna is only only loving. And the, the prime example, I suppose, is Putana, who who was given Vatsalya Rasa when she tried to kill him in his infancy. I guess in his infancy. Vishnu was not as well manifest <laughs> as later in his uh, his his lila. So the, anyway, the slaying of the demons. This is a secondary thing. It's a byproduct of protecting the devotees. Krishna really, in a sense, only interacts with his devotees, in whom he's reposed his sarup shakti, which is his own shakti, which we said is more one with him than than it is different from him. And when the devotees be, uh, experience the ingress of this into their lives, then they experience it, the uh, uh, direct, if you will, interaction with, with, with Krishna. He doesn't go outside of himself, means he doesn't go outside of his own Sarup Shakti for his pleasure. Hmm? 
That's why we say his Shakti is more one with him than than it is different. So he stayed with, with, he's still Atmaram, he's still self-satisfied in taking pleasure from his devotees because it means in the context of that he's deriving pleasure from his own Sarup Shakti, which is within him but manifests externally hmm, for rasa in the form of Radhika, whose Ladini Shakti personified in that Ladini Shakti is a major and principal const- constituent of Bhakti Rasa that is shared with every devotee. Hmm? Radha is like the mirror in which Krishna's form uh, takes new shapes and so forth. And um, that mirror is... Uh, every devotee is some type of a reflective mirror and so forth but by her influence, the influence of Bhakti Devi. So... Um, so this is the, the, the special position of, of Sri Krishna. Hmm? And as I say, the establishing of Dharma, the killing of the demons, miscreants, this is all secondary. These are all also um, uh, occasional leelas. So they're not eternal leelas in the sense that they don't continue in, in, in the unmanifest leela. Krishna is not typically killing demons in the unmanifest Leela. Um, neither is there the separation of him going to Mathura and Dwaraka that the inhabitants of Vrindavan feel on earth and so forth, which is the real demon, I suppose, separation. So um, they have value, these occasional Leelas of Krishna killing demons, for example, uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur has explained, uh, by way of devotees contemplating them, which is what you're interested in understanding, the significance of the, contemplating them in terms of different unwanted um, ideals that those demons appear to personify. We can look at the different demons and they, they, they can appear to personify different undesirable qualities and aspirations and so forth that are also, to one extent or another, within ourselves. Hmm? So if we want to remove unwanted things, anarthas, from our own uh, hearts, that our progress, our path to progress may be cleared, hmm, then um, this is a suggestion, for example, of Bhaktivedanta Thakur, to meditate on the leelas in which Krishna is killing the demons. In this case, we would meditate in, in terms of uh, various qualities that the vanity, for example, of Kaliya was very vain. Hmm? Um, so we have some vanity. We meditate on that Leela with a prayerful attitude that, and we go through the Leela and think about it and read it and so forth and with a view that uh, I'll become purged of any any vanity or any other <laughs> such qualities. And maybe analyzed in different ways. Thakur Bhakti Vinod in different places um, wrote about this type of meditation and depicted the demons um, as imbo- uh, embodiments of different qualities. Uh, and s- he wasn't always entirely consistent with that, opening the door thereby to to see the demons in ways in which they speak to us, if you will, about qualities that are undesirable and desire uh, thereby in the context of meditating on them, contemplating them, that they be removed from ourselves. So this is a way in which we can contemplate and pursue the overcoming, the removal of anarthas, unwanted things on our path, desires, aspirations, false values, and so forth, without, um, in, a, in a very different way than they would be pursued outside of the bhakti marg, hmm? um, wherein they their removal is the end of the whole uh, journey. Hmm? In our path, the removal of unwanted things is not the end of the journey. Development of love for Krishna is the is the end the end of the endless uh, journey where, where there is no rest in love. Hmm? As I've often said, um, but we don't accept some other path to remove anarthas. Hmm? that we may be better suited for bhakti, we, we remove anarthas in the context of bhakti. So our removal of the negative is a result of our preoccupation with the positive. Hmm? We're, posit- we're preoccupied with Krishna Leela, for example. 
beautiful leelas he has with his devotees, in the context of which, on occasion, the demons are killed and so forth. And we reflect on those leelas. So we're meditating on Krishna and his leela. And so the focus is positive on love for Krishna. Isn't Krishna wonderful? Isn't he extraordinary? He did this and so forth. And in the context of that, we're seeking to have the unwanted things that that demon represents removed from our heart. We're not taking some other method to remove the things from our heart. We're thinking, we're, we're positively meditating on, meditating on Krishna. The best defense is a good offense. Something like that, they say. Hmm. Now, that said, we, we do at times encourage devotees to employ different uh, techniques for overcoming, um, for example, let's say, uh, someone has got cancer, we don't tell them, well, just you know, meditate on that cancerous kamsa and uh, expect your cancer to be removed. We, we, we expect them to, to take uh, remedial measures um, for cancer whether it be so, or a psychological uh, dysfunction that's getting in one's way of being re- taking responsibility for one's acts or um, whatever it may be. Um, there are there's a wealth of literature about this. We may take advantage of that, and in the context of that, we will think, "This is my sadhaka deha. This body belongs to my guru, both its physical and psychic dimensions." Hmm? And so, in the interest of my physical or psychic dimension, I'll uh, partake of this food or this this medicine. In this way, I will serve my the body that belongs to my guru, hmm? body and mind that belong to my guru. The way we, that's the way we don't go outside of a bhakti context, even when we take help from outside. For example, um, uh, as I'm uh, um, suggesting, outside, other than, that means other than contemplating the leela and so forth for that purpose. It depends upon one's capacity mm-hmm. um, to uh, um, to partake of Krishna Lila, its contemplation, and draw from that uh, significantly. Uh, persons may have a better capacity than others, and we should judge by the fruits. And you know, you can say, "Well, just chant Hare Krishna, and all my problems will go away." We could say, "Yeah, but we've noticed they're not going away." So, either you're not chanting, you're not able to pay attention, or, you know, so we might give a booster, but this is how we would think about that, you know. We would think, look, you need, you need to read this book, because it really talks about the problem that you have. Hmm? And if you understand it, with the help of other people, why not engage them in Krishna's service? Hmm? Right? What if somebody wrote a book... And then a devotee read it and thought, I have a psychological issue, I need to deal with this book, deals with it like anger control or something like that. Hmm? So I'll read the book on anger control and uh, and I'll think that I'm engaging so-and-so who wrote this book in the service of my guru, whose body and mind I'm... Uh, uh, or sadhaka, who's given me the sadhaka deha. Hmm? And in this way... Uh, bring some sukriti to my guru of, of my guru Dev, of, Bhak, of bhakti devi to to this person. So there are ways to to think about it uh, and conceptualize such. We stay in the context of a kind of a good offense is the best defense. Um, you know, in times gone by, such um, techniques and such um, methodologies were not as readily. Uh, available, hmm? and now they they are readily available, and uh, so we can we can take advantage of them. Um, it, no one will hesitate to take advantage of medical technology, um, and uh, but they the same person may hesitate to take advantage of psychological um, technology or medicine. Hmm? Why? Because on a hierarchy of material things, we go from this, the body and its senses to the mind, to the intelligence, and uh, it becomes more subtle. The more subtle it becomes, 
the material on the material hierarchy, the more similar it becomes to the soul. That's why mind appears more similar to to consciousness than than matter or or, or the physical, for example. Even um, when it's not, even when it's categorically different or intelligence. Therefore, as I said before, if I say you're a little overweight, you might think, okay, yeah, well, that's whatever. But if I say you're stupid, you might want to fight me. Hmm? Because you've identified more with your intelligence as yourself than you have with your body hmm? um, and your mental world. Hmm? You have a greater sense that that's myself than my physical body. Of course, some people are pretty physical, but... <laughs> but um, therefore, therefore, there's some resistance sometimes, I believe, to psychological remedies to people's psychic issues and problems. Uh, it's an egoic, egoic resistance. There's that that's a result of over-identifying oneself with the mind. Therefore, if I have to have my mind sorted out, it's like you're getting pretty close. You know, I don't know if I want that. You know, you're on, you're on, you're you're in my my space, man. You know, something like that. So it's it's ego, it's ego facing. It's 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 it's. Uh, but that's the kind of heat. We 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 need that kind of heat. There's a book that uh, that Nittai introduced. What was that book? The Silent Life or something like that? A book written by Thomas Merton, a monastic in the Catholic uh, school that had a fondness for Eastern uh, philosophy and Eastern spirituality and went to India and so forth and stayed in different ashrams and wrote eloquently about it and uh, sought more of a universal kind of a spirituality. Hmm? Um very ecumenical type of approach. Anyway, he was a very good writer too. He actually he was uh, he caused kind of a resurgence of monasticism and, and Catholicism. Must have been in the fifties or something like that. Hmm? And they, 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 they even joined a monastery that no one was allowed to write, but they gave him a special place to write because he was such a good writer. And by his writing, young men and young women would be drawn to the you know to the to this kind of a commitment and so forth. At any rate. His book, The Silent Life, when Gorsundar, one of our monastics in, in, uh, in, in, in Madhavan, read it, he said, I've never had it, read a more powerful assault on the ego. Hmm? Um, so it behooves us to expand our sense of divinity and its descent and Krishna consciousness in a saragrahi, if you will, spirit. Saragrahi is a term that Bhaktivinoda Thakur coined. Um, Sara means essence, so by abiety meant an essence-seeking Vaishnava who could find Vaishnavism to whatever extent it was represented in any particular tradition and draw from it. The the kind of um, idea that Prabhupada used to speak about when he said one can take gold even from a filthy place. If he has, if he's intelligent, he can understand that's filth over there, but there's gold there. I can go there and take it out. And leave leave the rest behind. So um, so it is. This is when, to the extent that we can do this, that our spirituality starts to become integrated, and it's no longer just in a book, in a bunch of uh, rules and so forth. We starts to become a living thing. We can learn from the trees, from the birds, from other people, from other traditions, from non-spiritual traditions, from spiritual traditions, from different Vaishnav traditions. Uh, and monastic traditions, and, and so on, and so, uh, uh, monistic traditions, or whatever. Um, and um, um, as I say, that 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 this is then the saragrahi Vaishnav is really living alive. Now you can't just jump and be that. So you have to learn the books, you have to learn the rules, and so on and so forth. But this should be a long-term um, result of that. And so, in that context, then we are again still involved in what I call the best defense is a good offense. We are finding Krishna. There's Krishna conscious insight here, and it's it's something you could hear in a class, let's say. Hmm? But here, a person has dedicated a whole book to this one subject, and talked about it from many different angles, and so on and so forth. So. And they say, okay, well, let's see what he says here. You know, this very ego-effacing. That's certainly, we're interested in ego-effacement. Hmm? If anybody can help us, then we pay our pranams to them. Hmm? 
And many people can help us. In fact, the whole world is talking to us about how what an ego you've got. <laughs> That's pretty much how everybody feels about and everybody else. Uh, <laughs> Uh, to you know, to one extent or another, so we should we should listen uh, listen up. You know, much to be learned about ourselves from how others perceive us. If we always fault others' perceptions as being faulty, and only I know myself, and we're really missing the whole point. Is I mean, Krishna has confessed that Radha knows me better than myself. If I could see myself through her eyes, I would really know what I'm all about. So on a lower level also, just like you get a photograph of yourself and you look at it and say, that's not a very good photograph. And somebody else says, somebody else says oh, that's you, yeah. That's a great picture. And you're thinking, that's terrible. So we have a mental image of what we look like, but the camera doesn't lie. We can lie. <laughs> the mind can lie very much. I mean, it's very good at that. The classic example is the, the, the thief named Mind robbed the bank, and then he ran down the street calling, Thief! Thief! Somebody robbed the bank! And then all the people came and asked, which way did he go? He said, they went that way. Hmm? So, such is the mind. He always wants to place the blame somewhere else, and we can fall into that and live in the world of our mind, and mind says, she's to blame, he's to blame, that's to blame, this is to blame. Hmm? And, yes, but... Hmm? and I don't take responsibility, and I pass the blame, and so forth, I feel better about myself. But what self is that that you're feeling better about? Hmm? Only the one that, the illusory one that you maintain, that always makes you right, or never that bad. Hmm? But we're really bad. Hmm? According to Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami, it doesn't get any worse. Hmm? He said, I'm lower than a worm in the stool. His idea was, that if you take a worm out of the stool and pull it out, hmm, it will go back in. Hmm? I'm lower than that. We can't even imagine such a thing. He, he's given an example that you can't even imagine something kind of more undesirable <laughs> of, a, of an existence than that. This is my existence. Hmm? He said, those who uh, hear my name are subject to... Uh, they, they lose their virtues. Those who chant my name, they they commit a crime. They they, they commit commit sin. Such is my name. And when we have to plug our ears to hear Krishna Kaviraj Goswami say something like that, but he actually felt like that. He actually felt like that. So if someone was to criticize him, he would, he would be like all ears. Yes, tell me how bad I am. <laughs> And we are just like totally, you know, that's where we just shut down <laughs> entirely. Heard enough, I heard enough. Hmm? He's all ears. Hmm? Tell me, what, uh, what, 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 what's wrong with me? How can I improve myself? Hmm? Yet he really felt that way. Hmm? And we see this means, this is the person who's, who's uh, exemplifies the ideal. This is... Uh, that kind of necessity, that the closer we come as finite entities, so speak, to the infinite, in reality we're going to feel how finite, what it feels like to be finite. That's pretty small. I mean, pretty small. We are one <laughs> tiny atomic particle of consciousness. Among you know unlimited, unlimited other tiny particles of consciousness on one planet that's just like a speck of dust in the in the universe that's part of a cluster of galaxies and universes and so forth. And you can talk about it quantitatively in that way and kind of get an idea. There's a nice little video that somebody sent me a while back of this is the Earth and then another planet that's that's the next biggest one and the next biggest one and the next biggest one. And and you get to the sun, and it's you know it's huge, and then it goes back to the earth, it's just like a tiny dot, you know. Um, it's it, so you can get some idea of the quantitatively how small we are, and then there's the qualitatively how small we are, <laughs> as well. That that's a whole other you know analysis, and uh, and so such things are these are good for us. Hmm? 
Um, so, like I say, Krishnadas is all ears. Tell me what's wrong with me. That's the, that's like nectar hmm? <laughs> to my ears. For us, it's just like total poison. You can't hear it at all. Hmm? But the world is speaking to us. If enough people are are complaining about us, we might think maybe there's something wrong with me. Hmm? Or I could just fight everybody forever and say, hey, you know, I'm Chan Hare Krishna. You know? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and we have to say, okay, well, you chant over there. <laughs> so, in this way, anyway, we want to rectify ourselves, we want to purify ourselves of unwanted things, unnecessary things, resistance to criticism and so forth, um, um, by way of, of bhakti, but I'm, uh, and in a simple sense, in a really straightforward sense, bhakti talkers give you the idea of well, contemplate the leelas of the demons and so forth. Hmm. But there, as I say, we can uh, include other ideas in this. When we have the right orientation, then we're all doing it in a, we're doing it everything in a bhakti context. Hmm. This is my sadhaka deha, given to me by my guru, my practitioner's body. Hmm. It's for, me, for his service, it's for the service of Guru and Krishna. Um, like the gopis would think, I remember years and years ago, uh, looking in the mirror to put on tilak and and trying to in Los Angeles and trying to put it on straight and so forth and I was thinking this is very interesting because it has nothing you know, here I'm looking like a very vain person want to get it straight you know but I was thinking I'm going over in front of the deity I'm, I still can't get it straight but <laughs> but I was thinking you know, I want to look you know like a Pukavaishnava for the deity and so forth because he said you know if you wear the tilak he sees you better in the in the Arctic and so forth take notice of you and so you got the markings of Vishnu on your head, so, and then I, and then my mind went to the gopis how they're decorating themselves very carefully, very you know, very conscientiously dressing themselves, but all in the consciousness only of, of pleasing Krishna, hmm? nothing to do with selfish vanity and, and so on to derive at that. Hmm? Yeah, uh, enables us to, you can understand, to be involved in all types of things that would appear mundane, hmm? but are just the antithesis of that. It's all, in one sense, a question of orientation. Hmm? Hmm. So we need the bhakti orientation, and we can take advantage of all types of things to um, improve our bhakti and improve the lives of other people. Like I say, you take his book on anger management or, or whatever, or overeating, you know, and so you can say, well, hey, just take prasadam and your senses will be controlled. <laughs> well, I'm sure a lot of guys and gals, at least guys that I remember in youth or prasadam seemed to, you know, I don't know where they'd be if they called that sense control. I mean, <laughs> where they'd be without it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if, if, if they, you know, they, if you sit and take prasadam with the right attitude, then you're going to get more out of it then. They're not. So if you can't get the right attitude to take prashad such a way that you're getting the effect in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a timely fashion, you might want to read a book on overeating or something like that. Um, the uh, you know ill effects of I'm just giving a you know an example. So we shouldn't be adverse to help. In fact, we think I can get help from wherever I can. And this isn't an advocacy of embracing some other ism. This is an advocacy of a dynamic understanding of bhakti. Hmm? Uh, people get, and you have to be careful because people in the name of that get carried off and they end up becoming some new age whatever and then, then, then interpreting bhakti from that perspective and and bhakti is this and bhakti is that and we're thinking whatever happened to Rupa Goswami's definition of bhakti there, that kind of evaporated and bhakti is a feel good, you know, nice, go to the bhakti fest and, you know, and, and enjoy, uh, you know, love everybody, and what are you doing tonight, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with, you know, it's an old song. <laughs> so, that sounds like bhakti, yeah, you know. <laughs> so we don't want Rupa Goswami's definition, which we started out with, Anukule and Krishna to go out the door. We want that to remain central, of course. So it takes a little time to get a little education and understanding and 
And then we can start to draw Krishna consciousness from everywhere and everything. And when people speak, I mean, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, look at his example. He's chanting in the Ratha Yatra, a love song, a secular love song. And people are thinking, uh, this is embarrassing. The guy's a monk. We don't, he's got this new religion, you know, that he chants and dances. He's only 25 years old and he's a monk. And he's a chant, some love song, you know, a secular love song. And in Jagannath's uh, Rathyatra and so forth. But Rupa Goswami could understand what he, was, what he was thinking, how that love song, material love song, was transporting him to Vrindavan. Hmm? And then he wrote his own verse explaining that, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's understanding and so forth. So, it's possible that, uh, you know, that one could get more out of listening to a pop song than another could get out of kirtan possible. Hmm. You understand? Yeah. yeah. But don't try it. Do you usually no. <laughs> no, you should do kirtan. Yes? Um, if every word is a representation of God according to our desires, can you um, talk a little bit about the difference between Harinam and uh, Diksha Mantra? If every word is a representation of God, yeah, we can say that. And, but that's again to to uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught that uh, every word in the Sanskrit dictionary meant Krishna to him, and he explained like that. He could draw that from every word. That's like saying all consciousness is Krishna consciousness. Being able to trace that out, um, but with regard to Krishna Nam and Krishna Mantra. Mm -hmm. Krishna Nam, by that we generally refer to the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, for example. Hare Krishna and Ram. All these words are in the vocative case. Mm -hmm. They're, ex an, what would you call it, an exclamatory case? Maharaj? Uh, yeah, it's addressing. Vocative, vocative means you're addressing. Something addressing like, O Krishna, mm -hmm. O Ram, Oh, Hari. Hmm? Um, and in the Krishna mantra, the names of Krishna are given in the dative case. And they're surrounded by a, by a seed, a bij, and um, an ending, a petition. Hmm? In the vocative case of the Maha mantra, there's no petition. Oh, Krishna, oh, Ram, oh, Hari. Just exclaiming their names. O Ram, O Hari, O Krishna. Hmm? In the dative case, then it means Govindaya, not Govinda, but Govindaya, not Krishna, but Krishnaya. To Krishna, to Govinda, to Gopijana Balaba. Swaha, I give myself. Hmm? I surrender myself. Um, so uh, there is a supplication there. Um, there's a petition to be surrendered and, uh, uh, and, and so forth. So, in the efficacy of that, arriving at the, getting the results of that type of petition is helpful then for drawing everything from the Mahamantra that you could, you could draw. So the Krishna Nam is, is Krishna Mantra um, helps us to take advantage of Krishna Nam. Hmm? So that we can say, Oh Krishna, with lots of feeling. Hmm? Because you could say it without feeling. That's the generosity of the name. People say, Oh Krishna, Oh Hari, Oh Hari Krishna, with no hair. Ha ha. And so they make, you know, like a joke out of it. But it's, uh, so, it's, so, but then you could also say, Oh Hari, Oh Krishna with such feeling in the higher realm. Hmm? So to go from the lower to the higher, the lower end of the circle to the high end of the circle, of the big circle of Krishna Nam, there's a smaller circle inside of Krishna Mantra. It doesn't go as low. It doesn't cut, give itself to just anybody on the street. But someone who's been chanting for some time, then in the direction of the Guru, they will give the Diksha Mantra. Then it starts to work its magic. And you... And you also have your then it, you have the mantra that corresponds with the deity, so 
you can engage directly in the deity, say, but that can be very helpful in absorbing your senses and mind and so forth. And so when you reach the top end of that smaller circle, you're a surrendered person. You're, you have saranagati is, is complete, so to speak. And that's the stage on which the drama of Krishna Leela will be performed. So, therefore, you're in a better position to take advantage of Krishna Nam, which is non-different from Krishna. To realize that Krishna Nam is non-different from Krishna and to say, Oh, Hari, Oh, Krishna, with real feeling, having other feelings now dissolved. Hmm? We sing in the morning, what is that? Last line of our Mangalartic song. Satcha Kori Mani Ami Sukho Malpran Satcha Kori Tavapriti Bine Prabhu Tavapriti Bine Prabhu I don't want anything else. When can I honestly say I want nothing else but your service, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. When can that, I truly say that? I can say it, but do I mean it? Am I ready to take the, the medicine that uh, uh, will purge me of any other interest and desire? When can I honestly say, I'm yours? Hmm? Hmm. So this is a, a prayer, for for example, for Sharanagati. So to come to that position, one is in a position to really feelingly Chant, O oh Hari, O oh Krishna, like Krishna's friends in the Leela, Ram Ram, Mahabhava, O oh Hari, O oh Krishna. They're chanting with great exuberance, great feeling. Hmm? Does that help? Yeah, so it's a particular arrangement of the name and a particular formula to help us, and, and it will bring out a certain sentiment within us also for loving Krishna as a friend or as a servitor as a lover. Hmm? Those possibilities are found in the mantra. And so as you chant that mantra, then it will draw out your potential. And then with that kind of feeling, I'm the friend of Krishna. I would say, O Hari, O, o, o Ram, I'm the lover of Krishna. O Hari, O, o Hare. You understand? Yes. Well, the answer is that the, the diksha, the siksha, supports the diksha. So the siksha, the diksha is the imparting of the mantra. And the mantra is a kind of a condensed form of divigyan, divine knowledge, and so forth. The siksha is to help unpack that and explain that and foster that and so forth. Therefore, if we get the diksha mantra in the Gaudiya Sampradaya, we don't get a siksha guru in the in a, in in a, in the Ramanuja Sampradaya. We need a Siksha Guru in the Gaudiya Sampradaya which will support and nourish the Gaudiya Diksha. Hmm? And so Mahaprabhu tells Sanatana Goswami that the time of Diksha when one does Atma Samarpanam hmm? uh, one gets a gets a spiritual body. Chidananda Moy is is Sarakadeya becomes full of bliss. And so it, the implication there is it doesn't happen at the moment, if you will, of initiation, but but initiation is a is kind of a um, it reaches its culmination. It falls under the jurisdiction of sambandagyan, and sambandagyan is theoretical and it's realized. So when it comes to the realized platform, the diksha is complete, and and one's um, identity, if you will, in relation to Krishna started to surface. Hmm? Um, and then, of course, in Bhava Bhakti, 
Well, one's bhakti is very well informed. Hmm? And oftentimes our bhakti isn't even theoretically well informed as to what bhakti is, or to speak of what our bhakti rasa with Krishna is. Hmm? So when it's fully informed, where it's it starts to become, you know, prominently informed, I love Krishna. I want to love Krishna in this way, particularly in Ruchi, Asakti, and in, in, in Bhava Bhakti, then the Bhakti is very well informed, and so it's very uh, fruitful. Hmm? And we get extraordinary results from the same practices that previously you're not going to get the same uh, results from, not as rapidly. So, what I mean to say anyway is that the Diksha is kind of a uh, in a, something that takes time to uh, com- be completed, if you will. Hmm? It's sambandha gyan, and it falls under the sambandha gyan. And uh, of course, the diksha guru, you can say, falls under the abhideya, but still, the diksha guru gives sambandha gyan also, the siksha guru gives sambandha gyan as, as, as uh, part of the, the siksha, and in, in so many ways helps the diksha to flourish, hmm? and so um, he or she, Siksha Guru, is, is given an instance in which you're speaking, hmm, is as much or more a part of giving the Sadaka Deha, if you will, hmm? helping one to become um, Atmasamarpan, surrendered soul to erect, establish the stage of Saranagati, and, and so on. Hmm? So it's not like, well, I got the diksha here, my body belongs over there, so whatever siksha I get here, I'll give over there, because that's where I belong. These, there's maybe some place for that in some instances, if one feels like that. Hmm? But um, these things can be abused, too. Um, you know, they say, well, you can't take siksha from somebody unless you get permission from your diksha guru. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't ask, for Puri for permission to take sannyas from Keshav Bharti <laughs> to swim across the Gandhis at three in the morning, <laughs> as we told the other day, and and took uh, took sannyas. And why would Keshav Bharti? Obje- why would Ishvar Puri object? Hmm? And so forth. So if you your heart, you know, I mean, obviously people can abuse things, but in principle, if it's working, then your heart is working, and then the guru's work is less. One knows where to go and follows their heart, and that's what we want. We only want to awaken your heart that you'll follow it. And you'll be able to read, I'm getting help here. Hmm? I'm finding Guru here in a dynamic way. Guru is not just a body. Because hmm? it's Krishna manifesting. So therefore it's said in Bhagavatam, in the 11th canto of Bhagavatam, one cannot get complete knowledge from one Guru alone. Hmm? In the story of the Avadut, and he had 20, one of the 24 different Gurus. All the, the, the bee taught me this, the, the bird taught me that, and studying nature and so forth. Of course, Jiva Goswami comments there, there may be many Siksha Gurus to help us. Hmm? And we, we, we find this, let's take another example. Raghunath Das Goswami, did he ask um, Yadunandanacharya's permission to uh, get Siksha from Sarup Damodar? Not only he didn't ask, but Yadunandanacharya asked him to, to take care of the deity that night and so he took the opportunity to steal away in the night because they thought he would be taking care of the deity. Instead, he stole away in the middle of the night and ran all the way to Jagannath Puri, hmm? where he, <laughs> he met Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu put him under the guidance of Sarup Damodar, and so it was his Siksha Guru. Yadananacharya was not asked for his permission, and, and, uh, and I'm sure he was just delighted to know of the enthusiasm of Raghunath Das Goswami to come under the direct guidance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who put him under the direct guidance of Sarup Damodar. Hmm? So these examples are there in the literature, and anything can be abused, and a guy can go here, there, and everywhere, you know, and, and only take as much as he likes and always leave the parts he don't, doesn't like and, and, and cheat himself. But what can you do? People will cheat themselves. We try to teach in such a way that that'll be minimized, but it'll happen. But we we don't want to err on the other side, hmm? because some people cheat themselves and take advantage and 
And when their guru is telling them what they really need to hear and they don't want to hear it, they decide, I'm going to go somewhere else and find a siksha guru. <laughs> and he's going to say, that whenever he says, I like, I like that, and then when he says something I don't like, you think, well, I can have many siksha gurus, so I'm going to go find another one. So you always stay, you know, within your own mind. Um, and so that may happen. That's a fact. But if we make strictures and such to avoid that, first of all, you're not going to avoid it. It's going to happen anyway. Hmm? But if you try to make some system so that the main focus is that will be avoided, then something else may be may, may the cost of something else. This idea that's very important to follow your heart. Hmm? And you, have a, you end up having a system of devotees are just like questioning their own heart and their own sincerity to the point of neurosis. And I mean, I've had devotees tell me, Marsh, that was just a great class. That you made so many great points. That was so inspiring. But, you know, I never heard those points before. I'm not sure they're, if they're right or not. You know, I'm saying, does it feel good? Then do it. You know, I mean, you, I'm inspired. I'm, but, there's no but. Hmm? I'm inspired. That's what we want. Hmm? If it can be done over here, over there, you know, uh, uh, go for it. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously this can be abused, and the teacher can be abusive, and the, and, and the student can abuse himself, and so on, but, but this is where it goes to another extreme. And they hear it, they like it, it's wonderful, and they're inspired. And, and um, I had a devotee tell me, a godbrother of mine tell me, I was I, I was listening to your lectures and they were so great. I was listening to them and listening to them and then I realized he didn't tell me, he told another god brother that I'm listening to his lectures. I'm starting to like them more than Prabhupada's. And he said, then I knew I better stop and just listen to Prabhupada's, you know. And I'm not a better, better lecturer than Prabhupada or anything, but it, it, it might be that in time and circumstance, as a representative of the Guru Parampara, I could speak in a way that would be more compelling in the circumstance than... Then, um, then, then Prabhupada's tapes from another time and circumstance um, might, uh, you know, better apply in those times. Then this time, it's the whole idea of Guru Parampara. But then this, this fear of chastity, of following the rule, of you know, adherence and so forth. You see, this is an instance of how it gets in the way. And you do this, you create this by trying to overcome the other problem that people will cheat. You know. See, this is an important point that, that comes up in the, in the context of speaking about these issues. If you want to protect the institution of the guru, that people will respect the institution of the guru, the way to do that is to respect the disciple and the faith of the disciple. That is the way to do that. If, if in the name of protecting the institution of the guru that people will not find fault and so forth, and it says, so for example, let's say the guru doesn't have complete knowledge, so the disciple asks a question, the guru doesn't know the answer. Hmm? So the guru wants to protect the institution of the guru, right? And so he thinks, if the disciple thinks I don't know the answer, then the disciple will disrespect me. The disciple will be disrespecting the guru. That's a big problem for the disciple and for the disciples. So we have to do something so that the disciple will uh, not disrespect the guru. So I say, that's a nonsense question. Hmm? Yeah, you're speculating. Don't even ask that question, hmm? or, or or something like that. Hmm? Um, or you should already know the answer. Next question, you know, or wh- whatever it is, you put you know something like that. This is a very short-sighted policy for protecting the institution of the guru. The long-sighted policy is to respect the 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 faith of the disciple the sincerity of the disciple. Give them credit. These people are coming and they're, they're inspired, they're giving their all in all, they're sincere. Why doubt their sincerity? Why doubt their intelligence? They're picking, the, they're choosing the most intelligent thing to do. I, tend, I would like to speak to people as if they're more intelligent than they are, as if they're more sincere than they are, rather than treating them that they're less intelligent and less sincere. And, and in this context, I'm saying you want to honor their faith. So let's say that you know, you say, "I don't know the answer." Hmm? That could go, that could just that's just the truth. You know something? I don't know the answer to that. And then they just think, "Wow, that's far out." Cool. I mean, you could get more respect for the institution, or the disciple feels like the fountains, you know, the faucets 
turned off here. I'm not getting any nourishment. I'm finding nourishment over here from another Gaudiya Vaishnava guru. Hmm? Then I can intimidate that disciple and say, well, you should be finding nourishment. I'm a guru. What have I done wrong? You know, maybe he hasn't done anything wrong, but he's, he doesn't... He may be limited in his, knowledge, his scriptural knowledge, his theoretical knowledge, or his realization, and for whatever reason, not able to nourish the disciple. It could be the disciple's problem, hmm? but it might not be also. Hmm? And, uh, you know, I think a person can understand when it's not, and when it is, a guru. And when, it, when, it, when, it, when it's not the fault of the disciple, it's the lacking in my own capacity, then then I see that someone else has the capacity to nourish them, and they know that, and they're getting nourishment there, I should say, then go there and be nourished. Hmm? That disciple will, will respect that guru for being to, to teaching the truth. Hmm? This will go you know, so many miles for establishing credibility in the institution of the guru, as opposed to the other policy, which is a failed policy. It's t fatally flawed. Hmm? It's fatally flawed. You've got to keep covering up things and so forth and so on. <laughs> and this, the guru doesn't want to come out of his room, you know, because if he's supposed to be, you know, not supposed to walk on the ground or something, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's very, very artificial. Hmm? It's an impossible, you know, kind of a uh, task something like that. Hmm? Uh, so the guru should teach according to his or her knowledge base and realization and deal honestly with the disciples' faith. If the faith is not being nourished here and it can be nourished over there, then we, we encourage that. We don't say, no, you shouldn't go over there because you really, sh you really should be getting all the answers here. It's too bad that you're not. It must be your problem. Hmm? This is a failed policy, a fatally flawed policy. It will inevitably bring disgrace to the, the institution of the guru. The other policy, it will just work the opposite way because that's what the guru is for. It's for, it's for awakening and nourishing the faith. Hmm? That's what he's for. He has a role. If he sees like that in the detached way, let me foster the faith and so forth, then that person is going to be respected. Hmm? And it's not that it's not about faith in me, you know. It's not like the disciple's body is, a, you know, like you're saying. Well, the guru gives a diksha. You got, got a sadhaka day. It belongs to the guru. I'm speaking it in a figurative way. It's not like that body belongs to me now, you know. Okay, I got a pension now. You know, I got buttered chapatis into my old age. You know, I mean, this kind of I'm being kind of crude about it, but this kind of thinking can enter in a kind of a ownership, uh, you know, institutional, it can become like sectarian type of thing, you belong. Um, there's a good way of saying I belong, because I feel like I belong. And, you know, like, I, I, what, what, I, I would, why would you want to be surrounded by people who, you know, didn't have feeling for you or faith? You know, you want to see that that's there. If it's not, you know, you, you think, I, I could give them many more reasons why not to have faith in me than what they came up with. <laughs> so, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> it's no problem. Hmm? And I, I also may see that I can help somebody more hmm, than another person, but they have faith in that person. That's another thing. I can see that I can help this person more than that person, but this person can't see it entirely. Hmm? I don't force them that on them. I say, you go there and because you're going to only learn according to your faith. Wherever you have, whatever is the level of your teachability is somewhat dependent upon the teachable moment that, you know, moments that you have when you're open to teaching. If some situation opens you, then you go there and get your fill there entirely. That, that's our interest. So we, the guru, we are, the gurus are the servants of this faith that they create. The only reason they're gurus is because they've spoken in such a way that faith has been created. Now they have to be gurus. So what are they serving? And it's a service. They're serving the faith that's been awakened as a result of their sp speaking and their example and so forth. And now, so if it if it goes, then you have to watch it where it goes and follow it and and serve it. Hmm? So I'm speaking, at, you know, in a dynamic way about the principle of Guru Tattva. I mean, ultimately, Krishna is the Guru. So, so your body belongs to Him. Hmm?
That help? Okay. What's the time? Okay. More questions later. Sisi Gornitanandaki Jai. Gori Vaishnav Guru Paramparaki Jai. Gor Bhaktivrindaki Jai. Gur Premanandi.